I have a really bad memory. And so the, when I say that today, with today's passage, I can remember the very first time I read it, it's the only passage of scripture of which I can say that that's true. Uh, I first read this passage when uh, I was a tired, overstressed, overburdened uh, second-year university student, and I'd gone to see my engineering professor about a design project. I'd gone into his office, and uh, I had some questions, and he was looking up some things, and as he did, I was looking around the room, and one of the things that I saw as I looked around the room was a plaque uh, with these words on it. I don't know if the entire um, passage was quoted, but I'll, I'll read it for you from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. It says, Come to me, all who, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I remember reading those words and thinking, I wonder if it's true. I wonder if there could be a God who was really gentle, lowly, who was humble. I, 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 I wondered whether there was one whose yoke was easy and whose burden was light one who could actually bring rest to my soul because I had never known rest for my soul. I, I didn't know how to find rest, where, how to experience rest. And uh, this, the, this uh, plaque had words that sounded attractive to me. I just didn't know whether it could really be real. It would be another year after reading these, verse, these uh, words uh, that I would come to put my trust in Jesus Christ and go to him for the first time. And as I did, I experienced a rest that I had never known before. A, a rest because it, uh, the, the entire way that I had, had learned and, and been uh, taught from Scripture how to relate to Jesus was unlike the way I related to no one else. And I felt rest in his presence. But following that, I, over the number of years uh, that I have continued to come back to this passage since then, what I have experienced is that God has peeled back layers of thoughts and attitudes and values and beliefs that I later would come to understand were robbing my rest and were stealing my peace. And so this particular passage has ministered to me uh, in a way that few passages of Scripture have. And I'd like to share with you this morning uh, some of the things that God has taught me from it. Uh, you likely have heard this, this verse. Uh, many of you have heard it many times. Some of you have committed it to memory. Uh, but I'd encourage you all the same to have the passage open uh, as I walk you through it this morning, because often we, rec we read the verse, but we don't see all of the other things that are going on around the verse. And in so doing, we miss, I think, the, the full impact of what it's saying. Uh, in your pew Bibles, the passage is on page 766, and I'm going to walk you through it this morning. 
Now, the passage starts with this bold promise. And the promise is we find rest by going to Jesus. It's not the way that you will find uh, self-help books or blogs or uh, other, other people that will try to speak rest into uh, our society today. This is not typically um, what is given. It doesn't, it doesn't, for instance, start with any discussion of our crazy schedules and our, our overcommitted lives. It, it doesn't focus, in fact, at all on the activity. In, because it, it will take us to a place uh, that'll go deeper than, than that. It also doesn't ta- say that the solution is to take more naps, uh, that we just need to sleep more or, or set our time for uh, our, 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 our sleep patterns for a certain schedule. That, that may be helpful, but this passage is dealing with something deeper than that. It, the rest this passage speaks of comes as we go to Jesus. Now, in verse 28, Jesus invites all who labor and are heavy laden. So he's speaking to people who know the burden of just a, a weight upon them that wears at them, that, that, that pulls them down. He invites people to, to come to himself. Most people read the words the same way I did when I walked into my professor's office. They see them as a soundbite or as a, a, a verse devoid of any context. But it, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that there are all kinds of things going on in chapter 11 and chapter 12 to help us to understand how these words were to be understood and, and to, to be applied in our lives. And as you read the surrounding verses, they show us why people are so worn out. And the problem doesn't start with the activity. It starts in a deeper place. Now, for instance, in the beginning of the chapter, you have the disciples of John coming to Jesus, and they ask, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Here, John the Baptist is in prison, and if Jesus is the Savior, he's kind of disappointed. He doesn't seem to be doing the things that, that he hoped that he would. His life doesn't seem to be in the place that he wanted it to be. If, if this was really the one, the, the promised Messiah, he thought things would be a whole lot better. And we're going to see, and if you look in the passage, you'll see how Jesus confidently and ably um, responds to that expression of deep disappointment from someone who, who Jesus respected and uh, had uh, great uh, confidence in. But... We, before we go there, we need to recognize if it were you and I fielding this kind of disappointment from someone, this is the kind of statement that sends you home at the end of the day ready to throw up, ready, ready to just feel like undone and, 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 and thinking, thinking through your life and saying, what do I need to do to avoid disappointing people like that ever again? I, I need to... I need to be a better Messiah. I need, to be, I need to work harder. I need to try harder. I need to do something because people are disappointed with me. I haven't fulfilled expectations. And so that's one of the ways that we can wear our, ourselves out, trying not to disappoint people. Then in verse 19, Jesus reflects on how some of his critics had called him a glutton and, and a drunkard. 
they had condemned him for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And again, we know how Jesus ably and confidently addresses their criticisms. But if it were you and if it were me, and we heard those kinds of those kinds of critiques coming from people that most people had a lot of respect for and had a lot of confidence and trust in, those kinds of words would tear us down and tear us apart. We would find ourselves second-guessing ourselves. Maybe I do eat too much. Maybe these people I hang out with are a bad influence on me. Maybe I am a glutton. And, and, and that, that entire process of second-guessing yourself and having to try and live up to not only your own expectations, but now everybody's expectations creates this impossible burden that weighs us down and makes us go double time trying to, trying to please everyone, pr- trying to fulfill their, their hopes and their expectations. Then directly following Jesus' promise at the end of chapter 11, we walk into chapter 12 and we see Jesus with his disciples walking through some grain fields. As he, does, as, he, as, as he and his disciples do that, now they come under fire from the Pharisees because they think that's not something you should be doing on the Sabbath. And so they, they attack him and uh, accuse, uh, accuse his disciples of breaking the Sabbath. You and I look at that and we say, wow, that's, that's just legalistic, legalistic nonsense. We, we wouldn't get too worked up about something like that. But that's only because we don't live in that world. If, if you and I were a first century Jew and respected religious leaders like the Pharisees came and said, you are breaking the Sabbath, this was at the heart of their faith. This was, this was incredible condemnation. Something that they had done that, that in the eyes of many would, would then be viewed to have been a grave and uh, grievous sin. And, and again, it would undo you. And, and you'd find yourself, or at least I would find myself saying, what do I need to do to try to avoid this ever happening again? I don't want to know that shame. I don't want to feel that kind of rebuke from people. And so you start working and striving and, and doing whatever you can to t- try to not only live up to your own convictions, but now to everyone's convictions. And it creates this unbearable weight that just dr- brings you down and creates something that, uh, that is hard, hard to, uh, to live up under. And it seems to me that the point of all of these little Uh, encounters that Jesus has with people before and after this great promise that comes at the end of chapter 11 is to show us that the primary reason that we are burdened and heavy laden is not just from the activity. That there's something deeper beneath the activity that in fact drives the activity and is the means by which we are as busy and worn out and tired and burdened as many of us are. And, and in speaking into that, it's the recognition that since the problem isn't primarily a, an issue of activity, the solution isn't primarily an issue of more sleep or uh, more naps, uh, however good those, those things might be. It's not to, uh, against those. It's just to, to take the issue deeper. 
you come through all of these passages and you see Jesus responding to them one by one. And we, we see ourselves and we think, boy, if it were me, I would have just been, I would have been a disaster. I would have been completely t- torn apart. As we see Jesus instead responding to them so differently, we say to ourselves, I've got to spend time with this person. I need to learn to see, see life through his eyes. I need to try to enter whatever he's got, whatever, however he sees this world, I need some of that because the way I seem to see this world and the way I seem to see my life, I am undone by it. And it's just creating more and more burden. And so it's with a recognition that we need Jesus' strength, his wisdom, his grace, We need to spend time in his presence. We need to learn him and know him and draw near to him. And it is in his presence that we learn to address some of these things that would otherwise undo us with new grace and new strength that we might enter into his rest. So if you're worn out or overwhelmed, you may need a nap, but you probably need more than a nap. You need to go to Jesus and spend time in his presence that you might know his peace and his rest. So we find rest by going to Jesus. But here's a part that I didn't understand at first. I did experience, even that first time that I put my trust in Jesus, I experienced almost immediately a sense of peace and rest. But I thought that it would just always be automatic. And according to this passage, and according to many of our experiences, we know that that's not true. We need to take up Jesus' yoke. And in fact, it is how we approach Jesus and how we relate to him that is crucial here. The kind of relationship we have. We find rest by taking Jesus' yoke. Verse 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. What does he mean by that? Most of you aren't farmers. Most of you uh, don't have yoke to your, you, you don't yoke your oxen. You didn't uh, come in by horseback this morning. And so, so some of this language needs some taking apart. And it might be tempting to read this as his inv- invitation to get hooked up to Jesus so the two of you can carry your load. And, and in fact, that's how I, I, I just assumed that's what this passage meant. Some of you have seen these um, these wooden yokes that have room for two, two oxen, and they would be hitched together to carry a load. And so you would come to a passage like this and think, think, oh, I get it. I'm worn out and tired carrying my own load. I'm, I'm, I'm tired and burdened. And what Jesus is saying is, I get hooked to, up to him, and he helps carry my load, and then it's light and easy. It actually doesn't say that. And that's actually not what's going on in this passage at all. He's not offering to carry my load. He asked me to carry his yoke. And so there's, there's something different going on. It's actually an invitation to discipleship. In the first century, Jewish rabbis would often use this phrase of the yoke in a positive sense in inviting people to take upon themselves the yoke of the law. The, the, the yoke of God's commandments. And the idea was that in taking on that yoke, you were committing yourself to them. It's, it's picturing like an, an animal who has a yoke put upon themselves, and instead of tearing and resisting and going the other way, you 
willingly take that yoke upon yourself and follow. And they would use that regularly to speak of our relationship to the law, to the commandments of God. Shockingly, Jesus uses the same phrase that people had used to be hearing about uh, submitting to the law, and he says, no, take my yoke upon yourself. And, and so the invitation is to invite Christ's authority into our lives instead of resisting it. The invitation is to gladly follow him instead of uh, uh, resisting and trying to run in different directions. It's still a little strange though, isn't it? It, it? Does anybody other than me think it's strange that Jesus addressing people who are wearied, burdened, brought down, tired, and he says to them, take my yoke. I'm expecting at some point that somebody in the, in the crowd is going to say, like, Jesus, we're tired. What are you talking about? You take your own yoke. I've got my, own, my yoke to worry about. It seems strange, right? How could taking somebody else's yoke possibly make you feel lighter? And, and how could that possibly help anybody who was already burdened? And here's the thing. It will only bring relief to somebody who, uh, by taking on a yoke if you are already carrying an even heavier yoke. And that's the point of the passage. The point isn't that you have a yoke and you take on Jesus' yoke on top of that. No, the point of the passage is that you are already carrying a yoke that is too heavy for you, that is the thing that is burdening you and tiring you and wearing you out, and the invitation is to put down that yoke and to take up another yoke. To take up Jesus' yoke, and the invitation is that that yoke is easy and that burden is light. And, And so he's talking about an exchange. We've already seen in this passage, in chapter 11 and 12, some of the yokes that people will take upon themselves, some of those even heavier yokes that he's inviting people to exchange. So we saw with John the Baptist that some of us carry the yoke of not wanting to disappoint people. When we looked at the the Pharisees, we saw some of us carry the yoke of trying to avoid people's criticism. Some of us carry the yoke of trying to keep other people's rules. It's not just enough that you you try to live up to all of your own convictions. You're, you're, You're torn down by everybody else's convictions as well. And those are just a few of the the yokes that come up in this passage, but probably you've got some of your own yokes. Probably there are some other things that you are hitched to, uh, that you are committed to in order to prove yourself, in order to to show yourself worthy or acceptable or or redeemable in in some way. And he is saying that those yokes are the things that are causing you to be wearied and burdened, and you're invited to put them down. In, in my life, as I went into that professor's office and as I looked on that plaque on the floor, on the, on the wall, I hadn't figured all of this out yet, but it, was, it would become clear to me later, I was carrying a yoke of, of perfectionism. I've got to get everything perfect. Otherwise, I'm just, I'm not good enough. I was carrying a yoke of 
success, uh, that if I would just achieve some level of, 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 uh, of, of achievement, that people could, could see something, that then I would be worthy. Carrying a yoke of uh, trying to earn my sense of self-worth. Carrying a yoke of reputation. And, and the idea was, I will give myself to these yokes in the hopes that I will reap a harvest from them. And all I experienced was getting more and more worn, torn down by them. And the invitation of this passage is to exchange yokes, to recognize those things through the word of God that, will, that are robbing my peace and instead to take on Jesus' yoke in its place. What, what that's meant in my life is when I enter into these periods and times of extreme stress where I feel wearied and burdened the way this passage talks of, it, it means slowing down long enough in Jesus' presence to ask, what's the yoke that I'm, I'm carrying right now that I, I really shouldn't be? What's the thing that I've hitched myself to in hopes of that is in fact, dragging me down and making me feel worn out. Uh, often that, that comes in, a, in, in prayer, and I, I'll, I will pray things like, I'm, I am done with this yoke called, I'm in charge. Like, like, I can figure this out, and I can do this all myself. I'm done with that yoke, and Jesus, I am going to willingly submit to your yoke. To, to recognize that you are the one in control. You are the one that's in charge. And I, I don't know all that that means, but I submit myself to you as best as I understand. And I, I, I will take the steps as you lead me, but I'll do them for your reputation, not for my reputation. I'll do them because you're directing my steps. No longer is it me that's directing those steps. And it, it just slowing down to... to Take, a, take down my yoke, uh, to lay down my yoke and willingly and gladly accept Jesus' yoke. And as we do that, we find that his yoke really is easy. His burden really is, is light. There is peace and there is rest in Jesus' presence. So we find rest when we take on his yoke. That's why Psalm 127.2 promises this, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I think sometimes we forget that we serve and we follow a God of rest, a God, a God of the Sabbath who decreed rest but also invites us into rest. I, I think sometimes we can forget that, that we serve an all-powerful God who rests himself. And he wants us to enjoy that rest. He also commands us to work. And, and we're not saying that Jesus, for instance, was a stranger to hard work. Sometimes you look at his life and you think, how could he maintain that? How could he sustain that life? And the key is that he didn't, on top of his God-ordained work, he didn't also add to that what this passage calls anxious toil. And, and so the work of Jesus Christ was different than most of our work in that having taken that anxious toil from it, Jesus worked without the burden of work. He, 
gardens without thorns. He labors without sweat. And so he is the one who invites us to enter into that kind of rest, that kind of peace that he would teach us in. And we find that rest when we take on his yoke. And so we've said two things. We've said we find rest by going to Jesus. It is in his presence that we find it. And it also comes through taking on his yoke, that there is a right kind of relationship that we need to have with him. But the problem is that Christians will often do this in a vacuum. They just don't know enough about who Jesus is to actually connect with him as they try to spend time in his presence. And they don't know enough about his will for their lives to be able to discern what some of the wrong and unhealthy yokes that they have taken upon themselves that are robbing their peace and their soul's rest. And so this invitation to rest comes with a charge to learn. We find rest by learning from Jesus. In verse 29, he says, Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When we first come to Jesus, I think what happens is that we have a caricature of him. We, we kind of have a gist of who Jesus is from some smatterings of verses and sermons that we've heard somewhere along the way. But we don't have a clear, vivid picture of the true Jesus from the pages of Scripture itself because we've never slowed down long enough to read his word and to try to understand who he is in all of his fullness. And so what happens is we take that caricature of Jesus and we fill in the details with maybe a parent that was prominent in our lives or some of our own thoughts or things that we've heard or ideas that we had. And we, we lump all of that together in this thing that we call Jesus. But that Jesus, if we don't take the time to learn, is really only a, a caricature and, and, and has some distance between uh, that picture and, and the biblical reality. It, it takes time to see Jesus as he really is. Uh, it takes time, for instance, to learn the difference between gentleness and cowardice. We know Jesus says that he is gentle, but we can often confuse that with just cowardly and weak. It, it takes time to learn the difference between humility, which Jesus owns, and passivity. We, we just think that he's not up for it sometimes. He just won't get into it. It, it takes time to learn the difference between an easy yoke and an easy savior. Because we hear words like this about, oh yeah, his yoke is easy, and we interpret that often when we don't take the time to dwell in his word and understand the fullness of what he's saying to us. We just hear easy yoke and we think, oh yeah, Jesus is just easy, period. Like, and, and following him is easy, and, and the whole, whole thing is easy, and, and I don't think he really cares about this very much either, because I think he's just easy. And, and, and so we end up spending time in the presence of a caricature of Jesus, which is divorced from the reality of Jesus. And, and so in order, to, uh, in order to enter into the rest, we need to enter into the learning. We need to learn from Jesus. And we don't experience the fullness of his rest when we will not take the time to learn from him, to read his word, to study his word, to try to understand who he is and what he's done.
And here, it's not as if he's punishing us for not doing our devotions or not reading the Bible enough. It's not so much that he is punishing us. It's unless we take the time to learn, we remain trapped in the, the same unhealthy thoughts and values and beliefs that continue to bring upon ourselves the, the weight and the burden and the anxious toil that the scriptures speak of. Martin Luther is quoted as saying, if I rest, I rust. I have a lot of respect for Martin Luther, but I think he got that one wrong. Christians aren't like sharks that need to keep swimming in order to have the the oxygen to breathe. We've been created by a God of rest who, 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 yes, calls us to work and calls us to rest, but it, it is only in his presence that we find the balance between those two things. And it is only in his presence that we experience a holy rest, a rest that goes beyond the nap and enters into uh, a rest for our soul, a, a rest at the deepest part of who we are. Ironically, another German by the name of Albert Schweitzer was closer to scripture on this one. He said, if your soul has no Sunday, it becomes an orphan. And what he was saying was, it is only as we are willing to slow down and to enter into the presence of God that we can experience this understanding of of who he is and and who we are in relation to who he is. It's only then that we can understand the the life that he has called us to and, and the value that he places upon us. It's only then that we can experience the fullness of his love and be changed by that love. It is in his presence that we experience rest. So I don't know if you are feeling the weight or the burden that this passage speaks of this morning, but I know that there's rest in Jesus' presence. The rest comes as we take upon ourselves the yoke, but the, the, the encouragement is that that yoke is easy. The burden is light. And it comes as we learn from him, as we allow ourselves to be changed by the teachings of the word of God and to lay down those yokes that would otherwise rob our peace. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you not only see our burdens, but you enter into our lives and grace and mercy to relieve us of them. Thank you for seeing how worn out we are, but not only that, for seeing what keeps us that way. Help us to seek Jesus for the rest that only he can give. Help us to pause in prayer, to receive from him life, living water, bread that feeds our soul. Help us to submit to him and dismantle the thoughts and values that would rob our rest. Help us to make time to learn from him, to grow in our knowledge of your word. And as we do, Father, would you gently lead us into that rest? 
For we ask you in Jesus' name, amen.